This message is brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about our ministries, we encourage you to visit us online at tabernaclehickory.org. That's tabernaclehickory.org. You can find our sermons on a number of platforms, including Apple iTunes, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. We trust that God will use this message to speak to your heart. Genesis chapter number 13. And uh, we'll look together beginning in verse number 3. Genesis chapter number 13 and verse number 3. And I want to bring to you the concluding part of the message that I began last Sunday morning. On the subject of conflict. And we have a biblical perspective on conflict. How it should be handled and how it should be uh, resolved, uh, God willing, in the life of a believer. And so we're looking here in Genesis chapter 13, and we'll begin in verse number 3. The Bible said, And he, that is Abraham, went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Between Bethel and Ai, under the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. There Abram called on the name of the Lord, and Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together. For their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land, and Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that the word of God is the thing that we need. It is everlasting. It is eternal. It transcends time, and it is the thing that will abide forever. It is the pure inspired and preserved word of, of God. And we have it today kept for us and for every generation so that we might know, Lord Jesus, what your thought and your mind is, that we might know you, that we might know how we as your people ought to strive to live our lives and through the power of the Holy Spirit we pray today that you would give us understanding of your word and that we would humble ourselves and submit ourselves to be obedient to you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make the book to speak to me and to all who are gathered. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice the Bible says in verse number seven, there was a strife. There was a problem between 
the herdmen of Abram and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. It was a, a legitimate problem handled in a wrong way. The legitimate problem was that they, uh, the land in verse 6 was not able to bear them. And uh, they were not able to dwell together in that space. The problem was legitimate, but the way they responded was wrong. There was strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And so Abram, being a, uh, a more mature believer, uh, said to Lot in verse number 8, let, <clears throat> excuse me, let there be no strife, I pray thee. Between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for, for we be brethren. And we're looking at this thought, let there be no strife, and we're dealing with the subject of conflict and trusting God in the midst of conflict. We understand last week as we looked at these uh, passages that uh, the church at Corinth was a church that dealt with. A strife. It was a church that dealt with conflict. Uh, we understand a lot about the church of Corinth. For example, Paul said they came behind in no gift. This was a gifted church. Uh, this was a blessed church, but nonetheless, the immaturity of many of members of the church uh, resulted in the fact that there was strife. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1 and verse number 11, Paul said, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. And then in, in chapter 3 and verse 3, he said, For ye are yet carnal, that is fleshly and worldly, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? In other words, words walking after the flesh, not after the spirit, and, and therefore there is... Uh, as a result of that, there are envyings and strifes and divisions. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 8, he said, I hear that there be divisions among you. So the report that he kept getting time and time again concerning the church at Corinth is that there were divisions, that there were strifes. And we understand that God gives us a remedy for conflict. And we can trust God in it. Now, we looked at, at three thoughts last Sunday. I'll just rehearse them. Number one, we looked at the reality of conflict. Abram and Lot dwelling together as, as their family or, and their flocks uh, and their servants, as there was a multiplication there, as there was an increase there, uh, then problems arose and problems do arise. We understand that we live in a world that is filled with conflict and disagreement. And then we looked at the reasons for conflict. Uh, we understand that we live in the reality that, that there's conflict, but there are reasons. And the main reason uh, and the prime, prime reason is sin. And all, and all the reasons flow from that one thing. That we are fallen people. We're fallen creatures. We're sinners. And even if we're not sinning in our actions because we are fallen people. We have problems in communication and we have problems in our lives together. And so sin is the cause. We looked at the fact that people have differing views of life. We noticed that there are problems in communication uh, through misunderstandings. Uh, 
uh, through a lack of communication. In this situation, uh, there's greed involved, personal gain. I, I want the best grazing land for my cattle. Um, I, I, I want to be able to do my job and I want to have sufficient space. That was the battle between the herdmen. Pride, boy, pride is the original sin. And pride says, I'm right and you're wrong. That's, that's what pride says. And I know I'm right. You ever been there? You know, you know you're right. How many of you know you've been right before, huh? <laughs> I'm right and I know it. And you, you all know it. <laughs> And I'm willing to swear to you do know it. <laughs> Pride. And then hurt, bitterness, anger. The reasons for conflict. And then we look finally uh, last week at the responses to conflict. When conflict comes, how will we respond? And to Abram's credit, he responded, and he responded properly. Notice what he did in verse 8. And Abram said, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. We, we noted that author Ken Sand said there are three uh, general types of responses to conflict. In his book, The Peacemaker, he said, number one, there is the escape response. That is, I don't like this situation. I don't want to deal with this situation. So I want out of this situation. That happens in so many things. It happens in marriages. It happens in churches. It happens in, in family relationships and friendships. I don't like how this, how this developed. I don't, I don't like this disagreement. I don't like this conflict, so I want out. That is a response that people have. The second general response is the attack response. The attack. You uh, offended me. You hurt me. You did me wrong, and I'm going to lash out at you. And then the third response, and the biblical response, is reconciliation. Reconcile. To, to go to that person who... Uh, uh, has offended us, us in, in, in the spirit of reconciliation and, and to try to make things right. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, it is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. Proverbs 19 and verse number 11, the discretion of a man deferreth his anger and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. You know, we all are pretty, uh, pretty skilled at finding the transgressions of other people. And, and, and honestly, we could, we could have a meal together and have lunch together. And we could get to dealing with a particular person. And, and uh, we could begin to, to deal with, with and diagnose all of their transgressions. We're pretty good at that, aren't we? The Bible says it is a glory, it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Aren't you glad the Lord Jesus passed over yours? Oh, we're soon to forget that, aren't we, when we begin to point out those offenses that others have committed against us. The Bible says in Matthew 5 and verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. 
I hope you're a peacemaker. I hope you make, make it your business to be a peacemaker. The Lord loves peacemakers and he, he gives them a, a special blessing. Romans 12 and verse 18 is, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. As much as lieth in you. There may be times when it's not possible. Most of us have dealt with, at one time or another, something like that. But we should not be the people that go around looking for a fight. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, the Bible said, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue, tongue full, and his lips lit that they seek no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. Let him seek peace. Are you a peace-seeking person? Are you a peacemaker? Or are you a conflict starter? God's people need to be peace pursuers and peacemakers. Those are the responses to conflict. Now we're going to look further into the fourth thing. And this is where we pick up from last week, the ready for conflict. The remedy. And let me just say, there's not always going to be a perfect remedy. And in some cases, because of the obstinance and the hard-heartedness and the pride of people, there, there may not be remedies that can come to in every situation. But irregardless of another party's response, you can take the medicine at the remedy in Jesus. And so let's look at it. Verse, verse again, in our, in our text, he, uh, Genesis chapter 13. And Abram said unto Lot, let there be no strife, I pray. You notice his spirit there. Abraham was the man that God had called, not Lot. Abram was the man that God had blessed, not Lot. Abram was the man who was said that your seed will inherit this land, not Lot. Abram was the leader, not Lot. Abram had every right to choose whatever he wanted. Lot should have been, been thankful just to, to be there. Lot's life could have been so much more blessed had he just had a spirit of gratitude and thankfulness that God had worked in his life to attach him to a man like Abraham. But he wasn't thankful. He got greedy. But here we see with Abram. He's humble. Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. I don't think he went in and talked to him like a, a two-year-old. I think he talked to him and he entreated him as a loving father. Father, there be no strife, I pray thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we be brethren. And we see that while sin is the cause of conflict, grace is the cure. Sin is the cause, but grace is the cure. The only answer to conflict is the gospel. Our car con with God for have sinned and, and come short of the glory of God. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. 
man in his sin, in his fallen state, is at enmity, that is at war with God. He has rebelled against his maker. He's at war with God. But God in love sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to become a man and live a perfect sinless life and go to the cross to make atonement for our sins. The Bible says he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus Christ took, his, took upon himself our sin. He died on the cross for our sin, making the payment for our sin. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And he offers salvation to all who will just simply confess that they have sinned and confess that he's the son of God. And they can be no longer in a state of conflict against God, but they can be at peace with God and have the wonderful peace of God if they'll just simply be reconciled to him by faith. You see, the only answer to conflict of any type is the gospel and the grace that the gospel gives us. Now we see some things here. We see that through grace, although God does not initiate conflict in our lives, he certainly uses it. He uses it. Now he can initiate it. <laughs> but I want you to know he uses it. How does he use it? Well, he uses it to conform us to his image. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. In verse number 29, it tells us what his purpose is. His purpose is that we be conformed to the image of his son. That means that we be made like Jesus. And do you know that conflict in, in our lives, maybe at home, at work, even, even in a real situation, um, God, God can use that conflict, even if he doesn't initiate that conflict, God can use that conflict in our lives to deal with us. To make us more like him. Remember that's God's ultimate purpose in your life. Uh, you know I'm sorry it's, it's not for you to be. You know. Happy. Healthy. And wealthy. If that's the kind of pastor you're looking for. There are all kinds of them around town. That will tell you that. They'll even smile at you while they're doing it. God's will is not necessarily for your happiness and for your comfort. It is for your holiness and your conformity to him. He has a purpose in your life to make you more like Jesus. And that's a ministry of the word and the Holy Spirit of God as we go through the grind of life and as we are sanded by the grains of conflict. To conform us to the image of his son. Here's another one. To purify us. And all these really truly flow out of, flow out of the purpose to conform us to his. But to purify us. Do you know that God revealed to us our own sin? Oftentimes in conflict. Now we're slow to see it sometimes. But God will reveal to us our own sinfulness. And then to soften us. 
to humble us, to give us compassion for people. You know, the most compassionate people you're ever going to deal with are people who've been through some things in their life. They're not as harsh, harsh people. They're not as judgmental. Uh, they, they seem to be a little more understanding. God wants to give us compassion. He also wants to incre- increase our capacity to love. To increase our capacity to love. To make us sensitive to others. To teach us patience. To make us kind. To uh, make a, a channel of his grace through our lives. God does all of this to soften us. To soften us. The problem the Lord Jesus had with so many was their hardness of their hearts. You know, our hearts get hard in this world. And God will use conflict to soften us. Here's another one. To draw us into his presence. When things are going pretty good, when things are going according to our plan, we have a tendency to not need God. Right? Now, we always need God. We just don't always realize we need him. And we become sort of dependent in our, in our life. And, and not that we forsake God totally. You know, we tip our hat to him. But God wants to draw us into his presence and he uses conflict to do it. And then here's, here's, here's the last thing we find here. He glorifies his name. Do you know God will get much glory from himself? The Bible says he uses the wrath of man to praise him. God can use conflict. God can use difficulty in your life to give him much glory. And look, friend, if you and I are conformed to the image of his son, guess what? He's going to get glory. If we're made more like Jesus through the conflict, through the, through the suffering, through the toil, God is glorified in that. And so we see while sin is the cause, grace is the cure. Now, I want to give you some things, and, and I hope you'll write some things down. Number one, when dealing with conflict and we're looking for the remedy, recognize conflict. <clears throat> recognize it. Don't try to escape it or deny it. Address it. Don't pretend like it's not there. Address it. Now, so simple. They've got that, that escapism Denial mentality. Others, hmm, they don't have that, that at all. They want to, want to. And both can be wrong. We do need to address it. But look, we need to address it in the spirit of humility and in pursuit of reconciliation. That's what Abram did. Maybe Abram had, maybe Sarah, I don't know, maybe she was good and godly and kept Abram from losing his temper there. But maybe she didn't. Maybe she said, boy, when are you going to, when are you going to, you know, jerk a knot in that lot? When are you going to do that? Huh? I mean, he's just a little smart aleck. He's a little rebel. Why don't you just straight, straight? Maybe said that. Maybe he said it and she told him not to. I don't know what happened, but this I know that tendency is in all of us, but he didn't do that. He said, let there be no strife. What a wonderful 
spirit of grace and reconciliation. He recognized the conflict. He, he did not deal with it. And by the way, there have been times when I've not wanted to deal with it. And there are times you don't want to deal with it. And here's what happens. Sometimes you, you may you need a little time and, and, and patience. That's okay. okay. But there are other times when it's obvious action needs to be taken and we just kind of don't, don't do anything about it. And it gets worse. Right? And so uh, we need the Lord to give us wisdom and, and to know how to deal with it in the right timing. But we need to recognize the conflict and we need to address it in a humble, spirit-filled matter. Let me give the second thing here. Remember your priorities. What was Abraham's priority? Well, the Bible tells us here. Let there be no strife, I pity, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be what? What was his priority? We're brothers. Shouldn't happen. The Bible tells us, the Bible tells us that the Canaanite and the Perizzite uh, dwelled then in the land, verse 7. Why does the Bible tell us that? Because the Bible wants us to understand that the heathen nations were there in the land. And here comes Abram. And Abram says, God's, God's going to this place. God said, he's going to give me this, this land. God's going to uh, bless me and through God's blessing on my life, all of you are going to know who the true and the living God is. <laughs> There's a world out here that needs Jesus. How are they going to know him? Through his body. We're members of his body. We be brethren. We be brethren. He remembered his priorities. What is your priority? And when our priority becomes about us and our situation and what we want, we lose sight of God's priority because, because God's priority to be, to be our priority. Acts chapter number 6. This happened in the early church. In verse 1 and in those days, Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, and in those days when the number of, his, of the disciples was multiplied, here it is, there was a multiplication, there was growth. There arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because the, their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So as the church was growing, there was a legitimate problem. It was not handled necessarily the right way. There was a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews. Okay. The Hebrews were those in Jerusalem who were there, and uh, they could trace their lineage there. The, the Grecians were Jews who had, had been dispersed, and Israelites who'd been dispersed. And, and here they are living in Jerusalem, and they're part of the church. And so there's a little bit of a difference here uh, as far as status and uh, maybe even some ethnic uh, differences here. And so... Uh, the first thing to do when there's a conflict like that, that the, the first way the flesh reacts is, well, it must be that you don't like our group. And, and apparently there, there's a legitimate need here because the Bible says they were, there was a murmuring because their widows were neglected in the daily administration. They were taking care of the widows. Remember, this is, there's no Social Security. Uh, there's no Meals on Wheels. There's, there's no... 
there's no structure to take care of them. The Roman government, the oppressive Roman government, is in control. And so the church is, is taking care of, of these who were in need. And, of course, we find the qualifications for what a widow indeed is uh, in the book of or Paul's writings to Timothy. But here we see, see there, there's a problem here. And it's, it's a problem of oversight. It wasn't intentional, but it must have seemed intentional. But it was a problem of oversight. Look at verse 2. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, is it, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, who we may appoint over this business. But we, this is the apostles, will give ourselves continually to prayer and to ministry of the word. And the same pleased the multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, unto the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, here you have conflict coming in the early church, and there's a real potential problem. You could have had a church split. You could have had the Grecian church and the Hebrew church. But because they recognized it and because they dealt with it and because they remembered their priorities, God brought reconciliation. And the church wasn't divided. The church grew and was multiplied. You see, you can handle legitimate problems the right way and God get glory from it and God do a great work through it. That's what we find. Because they remembered their priority. And what was their priority there in those, in those verses? It was this, that we give ourselves continually, this is speaking of the apostles, to prayer and the ministry of the word. And so the primary responsibility of the apostle there and then ultimately now the pastor today it's to pray and preach the word of God. It is not to try to meet everybody's temporal needs. And so when there are temporal needs to be met, God gave us the plan here in Acts chapter 6. We choose out men of honest report and full of the Holy Ghost. We call them deacons today. And they are to help serve in the temporal, material needs of the church. To help take care of those in need. And so this is a great ministry. It is something something's needed. But, but we have to remember what the priority is. The preaching of the word of God. So what is the priority when God's people have a problem? Well, it is a priority of our relationship to Christ and one another. Remember this. We be brethren. That means we have the same father, Right? I don't care what your last name is. If you know Jesus, we have the same father. I don't care what color your skin is, where you come from. If you know Jesus, we have the same father. And we have the same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so therefore, we have a, the priority of our relationship to Christ and one another. And we don't want to be displeasing to him. You got to remember your priorities. So there's the priority of our relationship to Christ. There's the priority of the edification of the body. That's what these uh, apostles were concerned about. 
We, we have to, you know, the church is in its infancy here and there is no New Testament yet. And so here they are. They are the teachers and the preachers of the word of God. They are to care for the spiritual flock of God. They are to care for the spiritual needs, rather, of the flock of, the, of God. And so they're to seek God's face on behalf of the people. The priority of the edification of the body. Then there is, there is the priority of our witness to the, the lost and sinful world. Man. Our testimony depends upon it. And when we allow conflict and fighting and anger and bitterness and separation to come, a lost and dying world sees that and they say, that's just like my lost world that I'm a part of. And we have to remember that. And so we see, we're looking at the remedy. Number one, recognize the cause of conflict. Number two, remember your, your price. Number three, reconcile with your brother. That's what takes place here. Now, ultimately find out that Lot is a hard-hearted guy and he's an opportunist and he's going to take, he's going to take Abram's grace and he's going to twist it and use it for his own gain. And maybe Abram had a sick feeling when Lot left and took the best land. I don't know. Maybe he thought, well, that little, mm, you know, that little punk. I, I was good to him, and I thought he would surely humble himself and say, Oh, Uncle Abraham, you've been so good to me. Uh, you just pick whatever you want. But, but he didn't do that. He said, Okay, Abraham, I'll take that. That's the best place. That's where, that's where I'll be. I don't know if Abraham thought that, but most of us would have thought that, right? And so Abraham went to reconcile, and, and Lot did not respond. But that doesn't change the fact that Abram went to reconcile. The response of the other person doesn't determine what you need to do. And if they don't respond the way that you hope they will, you still have responsibility to do right. Do. Amen? Amen? Are we preaching the Bible here? Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 15. Would you turn there with Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 15? The Lord Jesus deals with problems, conflicts between brethren in Matthew 18 in verse number 15. This is powerfully convicting. Moreover, if thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. He shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee with thee two more, that in the mouth, mouth of three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Now God gives us here, the Lord gives us the steps for reconciliation. He gives us an order for conflict resolution. Notice the problem. If thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. So number one, when tell the person the fault, the problem between the two of you alone. Well, most most in trouble already, aren't we? Because we don't want to go and tell the person. We'd rather tell our friends. And when we do that, we're out of God's order. And if you've done that, and we've all done that, 
then we're not going to come to resolution on the conflict. We've just made it worse. So God's order, go and tell him alone. Now, the Lord gives us a provision here. Well, he says, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Praise God for that. And by the way, how are you going to go in him? <laughs> well, you're going to follow Abraham's example. In fact, Paul's going to tell us a little bit later, it's better for us just to go ahead and suffer wrong treatment and take it for the sake of peace and unity in the gospel. Well, that goes against the grain, doesn't it? If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But what happens if he doesn't hear you? Verse 16, but if he will not hear thee, then take with thee, take, take thee one or two more, more that in the mouth of two, two or three witnesses every word may, may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, all right, so what you do, then you get two or three people who are mature, who are spiritual, who aren't your best friend that's going to sympathize with you. Because that's what most people want in conflict. They want the person around them who they know is going to agree with them. Well, you're slanting the thing already. You take two or three, or one or two rather, with you, that every word may be established. You know, have you ever, have you ever had, a meeting, had a meeting, maybe an intense meeting with somebody, and then they leave the meeting, and they say you said something, and you leave the meeting, and you say they said, he's saying you have somebody there that every word may be established. And if he should neglect to hear them, tell it into the church. Then you take it, not, you don't, have, you don't get up and meet and say, preacher, I got something to say. So-and-so, no, you, you go to the pastor, the deacons, and, and it's necessary then you go to the larger church family. And if he neglect to hear the church, let him be counted unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. In other words, you've done everything you can do. So it doesn't mean you stand him up in front of the church and say, he's a heathen man and a publican. That's why I'm going to treat him. I'm going to tell him to tell face he's a heathen man and a publican. How would you treat a heathen man? How would you treat somebody who doesn't know the Lord? You wouldn't necessarily treat them as a brother, but you would treat them as somebody that you have loved, love and respect, and you hope they'll come to Jesus. Is that right? And that's the way we're to treat them. And so here we see this, that we are to reconcile uh, with our brother. Now, Paul said you have to be willing to suffer wrong and for the glory of God. And, and write this in your notes, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. There were, there were people in the church at Corinth who were in conflict, and so... They, they, they took it to court. They took it to a secular court. Dare any of you, verse 1, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. That's what the Lord is saying in Matthew 15. You take it to the church. You know, the church provides accountability for us. And we have to humble ourselves to become accountable. 
to one another. We have to be willing for somebody to lovingly tell us, you're, you're wrong. And we have to have the maturity and the humility and the grace to hear it. Or this doesn't work. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Verse 2. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that ye shall, or we shall judge angels, how much more things that pertain to this life? Paul's saying, wait a minute, God's making judges out of all of you for the, for the fear. Verse 4, then ye have judgments of some things pertaining to this life. Set them to judge who are the least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore, uh, there is utterly a fault among you because ye go to law with one another. Notice verse 7. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud in that your brethren. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. And he goes through a list. And, and here's what he's saying to us. He's saying, okay, you've been hurt. You've been offended. But it's better to just take it and preserve the sake of uh, preserve rather the testimony of Jesus and the unity of the church rather than it is uh, to, to go to court and have a, have a fight about or to split a church over it. This is what he's saying. Are you willing to suffer wrong? By the way, can I ask you this? Did Jesus suffer wrongfully for your sake? Was he defrauded? Absolutely. And so here Paul tells us we have to be willing to suffer wrong for the glory of God. Philippians 2 verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the, in the world, holding forth word of life. I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. He said, don't murmur, don't dispute, but understand that you're to be blameless and harmless. Why? Because you're holding forth the word of life. It doesn't need to be held by dirty hands and divided hands and angry hands and bitter hands. So I just want to give you six things to remember. I'm not going to preach on these points. I just want you to write them down. And I hope there'll be a help to you. Six things to remember. Number one, don't talk about it until you pray about it. I'm taking the natural outgrowth of these passages and, and trying to apply them to you in your situation. Don't talk about it until you pray about it. Learn to pour out your heart to God. That'll keep you from pouring it out to people that don't need to hear it. Pray that God will speak to you. Confess any known sin. Pray for the person involved 
in the conflict and pray that God that God give you wisdom. So number one, don't talk about it until you pray about it. Number two, don't deal with it until you sleep on it. Don't deal with it until you sleep on it. Now there may be cases where you can't sleep on it. But as a general rule, I, I would try not to deal with it until you sleep on it. You know, prayer and the passage of time always gives us a renewed perspective. Waiting allows the simmering emotions time to cool. And so sometimes they just need to cool. Number three, don't involve all of us until you go directly to the person. Now, we read that in Matthew chapter 18. Don't involve others until you go directly to the person. Proverbs, write this reference in your notes. Proverbs 25, verses 8 through 10. Go not forth hastily to strive. That means don't go, don't, don't go to fight. Don't go to battle. <laughs> Lest thou know not what to do in the end thereof when thy neighbor hath put thee, put thee down. Debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself, and discover no secret to another, lest he that heareth put thee to shame, and thine infamy turn not away. Boy, you know, in other words, you may have it wrong, you may not have the story right, and here you're going to go to battle, and you may end up looking like a fool. Number four, don't tell your side of the story unless you're willing to listen to their side. Don't tell your side of the story unless you're willing to listen to their side. You ever had a conversation with somebody that while you were talking, you could see they weren't, they weren't. And while they were, while you were talking, what they were doing was figuring out what they're going to say as soon as you hush. Because what you say and how they respond have Nothing to do with each other. I'm guilty of that. I've done that before, and so have you. But we, we, we just have to, we just think we've got to get it out. Well, listen, we, we should not be talking or telling our side unless we're willing to link to their side. Number five, don't magnify the problem, minimize it. Well, there's a problem. I'll tell you what. Uh, ba, 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 ba. Don't magnify it. Minimize it. It's going to be fine. God's going to help us. The Holy Spirit is at work. We're trusting God. Well, you say, well, that just sounds cute and nice. No, that's true. We just have to, by faith, believe it and trust God to do it. Amen? Number six, don't rehearse the conflict. That means don't sit around home and, boy, I tell you what. <laughs> I can't believe that guy said that to me. I can't, I can't believe I let them get away with that. Well, that, that they, mm. and then you, st I mean, man, you know every detail of every, and you've got it, and you're, it's rehearsed, and, and if anybody's in earshot, they're going to hear about it. Don't rehearse the conflict. Give it to God. Number seven. Don't prove yourself right. 
That's what happens in most moral situations, isn't it? I'm right. She's wrong. I'm right. He's wrong. Don't prove yourself right. Pursue reconciliation. Pursue it. You say, what happens when it's not possible? What do you do when it's not possible? What do you do when you've done all you can do? What do you do? Well, number one, you do your duty. You do what you're supposed to. Make sure you've done it. And then you rest in the Lord. God, I did the best I know how what you want done. And I'm resting in you. Don't allow the seeds of hurt, anger, and resentment to develop into the root of bitterness in your life. Because that happens so much. Remember the offenses you've committed against others. And move on. Abram moaned, didn't he? But there was a day. Well, in fact, let me just say this. Right after Lot left, what did God say? He said, lift up now thine eyes. Because you let me do the choice, because you did the right thing, I got something better for you. Here it is. Lot got the well-watered plains of Jordan. Abraham got the whole thing. Because he let God do it. And then, then we're going to read about five chapters over that Abram is, he's at home walking with the Lord, enjoying his time. God's going to give Sarah a baby in a year. And then, and then he said, uh, oh, Lot is in trouble. I'm going to bring judgment against that city. And he does. And you know what Abraham did? He prayed for him. He prayed for him. He didn't say, boy, he deserves it, that little ingrate. And little smart aleck kids of his, they deserve it. That rebellious wife of his, I never did like her anyway. They deserve it. No. He wept, cried, stood before the Lord, and he prayed for Lot. He did all he could do, didn't he? And that's what God wants you and I to do. And we have to trust God with the rest. Conflict. Let there be no strife. Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee. For we be brethren. Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used His Word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org. That is tabernaclehickory.org. There you'll find additional resources that we pray God will use to be a help to you. If the Lord should lead you to partner with us or make a donation online, you'll find a link provided on the website at tabernaclehickory.org. May God bless you and thank you for listening.